All right. How you guys doing, by the way? Um, I'm doing well. Very, very busy, but happy to be here in the stew. Yeah. <laughs> in the stew? Is that is that industry lingo right there? Is that I guess in the, the stew or what is this in the in the editing ed, suite? The ed. Yeah, the <laughs> in the suite. In yeah. the suite, yeah, that works pretty well. Well, hello, welcome to the first episode of the Bates College Super of Art podcast. Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, I'm very excited to be doing this because I've been thinking about this since December ish of last year. Uh, and it's a project that I'm very happy to be actually doing as opposed to just sort of talking about all the time and not having anything uh, to show for it yet. So so thank you all for being here. Thank you for having us. And uh, I should probably introduce myself. I'm Peter Philbin. I'm the Assistant Education Curator for the Museum of Art, uh, and I'm joined by Lucy Sherman. Say hi, Lucy. Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm also an intern I'm, I'm working alongside Peter this semester as a educational projects intern. Yeah. Um, and I've been working at the museum for the last two years, too. Yeah, and I'm excited to, to be doing this with Peter. Wow. <laughs> I, I feel such gratitude. Oh, uh, yeah, no, but seriously, yeah, thanks to Lucy for helping me out um, to get this actually off the ground. Uh, I thought that a cool way to start would be rather than kind of focus on the most obvious things that you see when you come into a museum to instead kind of go directly behind the scenes to the collection, which I feel like you're always sort of aware of when you're in a museum, but you're never quite thinking about as actively. Uh, You might pass by a door that is like scary and dark uh, where things are being kept, but I'm joined by Clara and Liv today, who are both collections interns. Hello, yeah, happy to be here. No, we are, Liv and I work in the, you know, the collections room, aka our evil lair, (laughs) where we sort through, you know, the works that are in storage that pretty much no one else really looks at or sees besides us. Um, But there really are some amazing gems that the the Bates Museum has. that we we get to work with really every day. Um, And we're excited to talk about some of our favorite pieces that we found um, through this project and through our work. Yeah, it's it's an amazing experience. We've even found some pieces that are like the curators of the museum who've been here for, Anthony's been here for what, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I think close to 30. Yeah, Yeah, a really long time. And last week I found a piece that he didn't know even existed. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. I think it's one of those things people don't realize about collection. I mean, they're so vast. I mean, ours is a small collection for an art museum, and it's over 8,000 items. It's probably more like 10,000. We're not actually sure, which is also surprisingly common. And such a small percentage of that is on display at a time. Um, It's something like half of 1% of our collection is up right now. Uh, So think about how much you don't see when you come in. So yeah, I mean, one of the things that we're going to be we're going to be hitting on is some of those hidden gems of the Bates College Art Museum, the things you you walk by every day and don't even realize. But I first kind of wanted to ask you guys, like, why why did you want to work in collections? Like, what made you want to do that? Well, I so same as Lucy, I've been here for I've been here for two years. Um, 
for three semesters because I went abroad. But I immediately started in collections, which is what I wanted to do. I've always loved history. There's a reason I'm a classical medieval studies major. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Fun fact for the listener. That's how I know Peter originally. (laughs) We took Greek together for a couple semesters. Yeah. I just, I love the stories. I love the the hidden gems, which is what we're going to be talking about. Just finding out stuff that the majority of people are completely unaware exist. Uh, It's just an intensely satisfying experience. I actually was assigned to work in collections management. I'm not really sure if I put a preference on my application for the internship. Um, but because I wasn't really sure. I mean, I'm an art history major and I know I want to work in the art world, at, you know, in in I'm not really sure in what department. I mean, I'm thinking about being a curator or, you know, an art dealer, an art critic. I'm not really sure. So I just kind of let them put me somewhere random um, and I ended up in collections management and what I really like about it is just everyday kind of hands-on work with the art and just knowing how to interact with it um, and learning kind of like the language and the vocabulary that goes with that and something that I really like the most is that you know when you go into a museum you know, the average viewer spends about, like, what is it, like, eight seconds or something looking at a piece. Um, but when you're working in collections management and you're filling out these condition reports and you're writing these descriptions, you spend a really long time with the piece and you get to see these things that you wouldn't be able to um, if it's just hanging on the wall or if you're going into an exhibition just as, you know, a viewer and not someone working with the art. Um, and... That's something that I've really grown to love. Um, And also now doing this inventory project that Liv and I are working on right now, just seeing what's there in the museum. Because there's so many cool things that I had no idea. And it's just like, just yesterday, I'm doing inventory, random Monday, you know, not feeling too great. Open Open the folder, boom, Rembrandt dry point etching. I'm like, what's going on here? You know, I'd send it to send it to my parents a photo. I'm like, how's your Monday? I just touched a Rembrandt. Beat that. <laughs> like ten yeah. minutes later I found like find this, you know, Norman Rockwell piece and I'm like, Wow, this is so cool and it's just kind of in this drawer and in this folder with all these other random pieces and you just never know what you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you right there. I didn't know that we had anything by Norman Rockwell in the collection. Yeah. So that excites me a lot. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. I'll show you on on, on yeah. Wednesday tomorrow. Please do. I yeah, will. I want to see it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's awesome. Why don't you guys? So you're doing an inventory project right now. So what is that? What does that look like? What are you doing on the on the daily for that? Well, for the inventory project, we're basically in in one of our storage areas. It's just big shelves with lots and lots of. <laughs> <laughs> drawers, yeah, drawers that are labeled, and in the drawers are just tons of folders. And our job is to take out each of those folders and confirm that the accession number is correct and that we have it correctly in our database, and then update where the location is so that if any professors or any of the curators, if basically someone wants to find it, we will have an updated record of where it is. Yeah, yeah, it's really, yeah, it's. For for a museum to um, keep track of everything in the in the collection, it's it's 
it's quite a project. I mean, we haven't had, uh, we did not have a collections manager or registrar in the museum until 2016. Like a lot of that was being done sort of on rotation by like who was there. Uh, and then Corey, who's our collections manager now, um, has really been the person who's kind of been taking on themselves to, to kind of turn that into something that's, that's more accessible so we can be a tool for the community and for, for the school. I, I know that you guys have some favorites, favorite gems from the museum, we could say. Why don't you talk about uh, some of those? Um, so the first piece is Le Bonheur's. Um, sorry. <laughs> My apologies. I tried. We make no assurances um, on pronunciation. Anyone that speaks French, yeah. To yeah. This. Sorry. <laughs> My French is not great. Um, by Paul Cezanne. Um, so this is a lithograph on laid paper from nine eighteen ninety eight. Um, so I chose this piece. I'll describe it um in a moment. But so this was last semester and um I'm, you know, going through a folder and I open up this this cardboard, you know, casing and I'm like, oh, wow, this really looks like, you know, a, a Cezanne inspired, you know, bathers drawing. Um, you can tell that this this artist was really inspired by them. Um, and then, you know, I put the little accession number in the database and I was like, it's it's a Paul Cezanne. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and I was so excited because. Um, one, that was one of the first kind of big names that I had approached um, while doing this project. I think it may have been the first. And in my, my freshman fall, I wrote my final research paper for my modern European art class on, um, you know, how Cezanne revolutionized depictions of the human body and of the human, of the nude figure um, and kind of made it okay to depict it as ugly or not perfect. Um, so I kind of had a personal connection. Um, and I think that this lithograph really um, is a great example of him playing with with the human nude body because um, so it's, you know, a natural setting. You know, there's mountains in the background and trees and there's four nude men. Um, and they're all, you know, posed very differently. You know, one is reclining on the grass, um, you know, with his head behind his shoulder. Um, another one is is much closer um, in the foreground, and he's drawing himself off. Another figure is to the right of him, kind of has his knee up and his his foot resting on a rock. And then there's one further in the background with his back towards the viewer, and he's kind of stretching his arm. And I just I chose this piece because I think it is kind of a great example of Cezanne playing playing with the human body through all these different poses and. That's my my first piece, and this was truly a moment for me when I realized that the Bates Museum has some real hidden gems in their collection, um, and that are not on exhibition. So you know, as a I feel really honored that I get to get to work with these. And I remember I sent a photo to my my family group chat, and I had my hand on it, and I was like, I'm touching a Cezanne with my bare hand. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely, yeah, some, some humble bragging with the family, I feel like, is definitely <laughs> something that happens a lot. Um, my parents are both 
kind of like vaguely interested in art. And so they know some like the bigger names. So I'll just be like, oh, yeah, like pass by the Picasso folder today. And they're like, whoa. Um, it's kind of fun to, it's, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to say taunt, but uh, <laughs> something, something akin to that. Yeah, yeah. My dad is an artist. He's a painter, mm. um, kind of a hobby. But as he gets older, he does more and more of it. So I very much have grown up with him teaching me about like color theory and composition and just very much being in the art world because of him. And so every shift I have at the museum, I'm inevitably taking photos of like a bunch of the pieces just to send to him and be like, look at all this cool stuff I get to work with. Like, oh, Liv and I are always snapping yeah. photos every day. <laughs> Absolutely. But usually when we're doing inventory, one person sits at the computer and writes down all the information and the other person is going to the... The other person's going to the folders and looking through and lifting them up. It just saves us some some time. And, like, one of us will be sitting and say to the other, oh, can you take a photo of that and, like, send it to me? Yeah. Just... You know what's funny is that we literally like all of the opposite things. Oh, we do. It's so <laughs> funny. Like, Liv, Liv will pull something out. she would be like, oh, this is so cool. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be honest, I don't really like that one. And it happens all the time. And because I feel like you you like a lot of, you know, that kind of Greek mythology or kind of like the dark, um, you know, I feel like with a lot of animal things and a lot of detail. And I love like all these like color blocking and bright colors and, and like watercolors and um it's but it, it's fun that we we but we're always taking photos but they're always of different the opposite things. About the opposite things but yeah. you know I, I yeah. like it. Well, in that case, let's let's hear something one of your one of your objects then. Oh, okay. Yeah. So one of my um, favorite ones is uh, called Hartford Girl on Her Bike by Sigmund Sigmund Abelis. I'm going to guess. I think it's Abelies. Abelies? Okay. I believe it's Sigmund Abelies, yeah. Lucy's nodding. All right. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Lucy. <laughs> uh, it's also a lithograph done in red and brown ink. It's from around, it's like the early 1980s. And I just love this piece. It's it's of a nude woman sitting on a motorbike that is facing the viewer. And she's just sitting so relaxed and looking off to her left like one of her one of her hands is on the handlebar and the other one is on her thigh and she's like bracing the bike with her right leg and there's just so much detail but there's just all this mark making that I'm so entranced by just like tiny details on the bike and like dark spots on her skin and it just feels so real and natural um kind of like you were talking about the saison pi- uh piece with showing the body in its completely natural form, not like... Just acceptance of imperfections. Exactly. Mm. And then there's just this very sketchy, lighter-colored background that brings a lot of emphasis to the woman and her bike, but makes the whole piece like feel more full, more centered in the world, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. a really interesting way of putting it. We've been looking a lot at the form with the the exhibition we have up right now upstairs, where there's a lot of drawings from um, Marston Hartley. Uh, the museum has the largest collection of Hartley's drawings. It's something we like to brag about. Um, and he did a lot of sketches of particularly male nudes. Um, when you walk by them every day, when you're, like, you're working in the museum or you're coming in to do those things, um, you tend to start seeing a lot more of the details in it that you didn't didn't see on the first pass. 
It's just such a cool experience being able to not only have access to this resource, which kind of kind of plug the museum. <laughs> like we want more students to come and yes. access this amazing resource that we have that it's very difficult to promote a museum on such a small campus mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. a lot of students, I mean, Bates keeps us very, very busy. Yeah. So it's kind of hard. Yeah. And when you do have a free time, it's like you don't necessarily want to go to what we see as another academic building mm -hmm. to go to the museum. You don't really think about it unless there's like a big showing happening. Yeah. But I would actually, I actually think that, um, you know, I graduated from Bates in uh, May of last year and I, I don't have a lot of regrets about things I did, but <laughs> uh, if I had to say one, it would be not doing a museum internship is actually the, the big one. Cause I thought about it and then I, just looked at my schedule and I thought there's no way I'm gonna be able to fit this in and I was wrong like I I definitely could have done it but it was just sort of this um this feeling of bouncing from one thing to the next and can I really do this um and that's one of the things that I think is really great about the way it works at the museum is I think it is built in in a way that makes it really compatible for students to be able to, to build in with their other classwork so everyone all the like long-term people that work at the museum so Corey and anthony and dan and bill who's semi-retired now yeah, yeah. uh really understand that the students have other responsibilities that need to go f first yeah. last semester when i was working on my thesis clara and i work uh we always work the same days but last semester we worked tuesday thursdays right mm -hmm. and thursday was also also my um when i had my thesis meetings and so for a solid, I think, month, I would uh, text Corey like midnight the night before and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I have so much thesis work to do. I cannot come in tomorrow morning, uh, like feeling awful yeah. that I was flaking. And she was so chill about it, so uh, understanding and having that not only from like an employer, but also from a mentor is it takes a weight off your chest as a student and I think also like there with the museum internship and you know just that the you know the people that work at the museum really do want to kind of help you and for me I've always I've always asked like if you know they're hanging paintings can I come watch or yeah. you know if they're when they're installing a new exhibition I always love to be up there um, if I'm doing like condition reports or anything just to watch and just to be a part of it and um, they're always like Corey's always like is very kind of um, helpful in that regard that you know they're really here to help you learn um, and kind of provide you with those opportunities um, and kind of like encourage you to ask for that to know that's a really great aspect of the internship and that you know for me I worked in collections management last winter semester and then short term I was writing for the catalog and then now I'm doing collections again and it's you know if you're in one department for one semester it doesn't have to be that way like you can move around and mm -hmm. see how you know other other departments work if that's something that you're interested in yeah definitely one of the advantages of working in a small museum mm -hmm. is bouncing between those roles because um, when you get to like those larger museums there's a lot of stratification and who does what and dividing all those things up. Um, and so it's nice to work in a museum actually where you have, we have 
five permanent staff members right now, soon to be soon to be six. Um, which is exciting. I am one of the five, technically. Oh, no um, we actually have a, a new a new curator coming. We'll be starting uh, oh. in just a few weeks, which stay tuned and you'll hear more about. Uh, Are we so. doing an interview on the podcast? Oh, I mean, how could we not? Yeah, so definitely. True. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stay tuned, loyal public. Uh, the, <laughs> the interview is coming. to talk about the other pieces you had in here as well so um why don't yeah, we sorry, we're, we're getting it. off topic i mean what's what's wrong with that yeah i love a good uh, banter yeah exactly <laughs> so uh yeah so why don't you why don't we go back to that so. okay this next piece is it's really cute it's really random but it's called um <laughs> lubeck summer by winifred c long it is a watercolor on paper from 1984 um so this watercolor, um, I chose it because of the way it makes me feel and that it kind of reminds me of, you know, my, my time living here in Maine. Um, so this piece depicts a small and old white cottage with black shutters. Some have fallen off, some have not. Um, you know, the house has some broken slats. Um and, you know, there's a scalloped white trim rests above each window. Um, the front door is left open, giving the dilapidated home a more inviting feel. And, you know, the sunlight is warm and the sky is a bright blue with these light, flossy clouds. The, there's this golden green grass in front of this little cottage. Um, and you can tell it's overgrown. Um, and there's just these wild flowers scattered amongst the overgrown grass. Mm. And one of my favorite parts is this house has this gingerbread wavy style trim um, that lines the edges of the roof, which is very, you know, classic to coastal New England Victorian architecture. And just when I look at this this painting, I can almost, you know, feel the the wind flowing through this overgrown grass. Um, and there's like this beautiful um, bush with pink pink flowers that grows against the the front side of the home. And I love this piece because I, I love watercolor. Um, it's just really soft. And um, I also chose it because it just encapsulates the kind of simple and classic beauty of coastal Maine. I mean, I this is a little bit about me. I mean, I, was a senior in 2020-2021 so I never got to tour any of the schools that I was applying to and I yeah. just came to Maine well I applied to Bates randomly <laughs> ED yeah. the only thing I knew about it was that there was a cereal wall um and the cereal wall is pretty don't it don't was quite underwhelming like, to be oh. quite honest no now I've come to love it okay. but I'm glad that being the only thing I knew about the school and then <laughs> yeah. it wasn't even yeah. a, and then it wasn't even a wall I was like okay um but I've, I've I've grown to love it but anyway I came here randomly and I just fell in love with Maine and I just feel like when else am I going to be able to spend four years of my life in in this beautiful and kind of somewhat random state. Um, and I, I just chose to talk about this piece just because it really just, as I said, captures that that classic coastal New England beauty. Um, you know, this this home is just so kind of warm and inviting. And, you know, you drive down the main coast and you can see all these old cottages. 
I just, I find it very soothing. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Maine. I mean, the thing that is great about the collection as well is that, I mean, we, yes, we have some of these pieces, you know, the Saison or the things like that that are in there. Um, but there's a lot in the collection that connects to Maine in some way, whether the artists are from Maine, whether the works are scenes from Maine. Um, that's like a really big part of what is in there and all of the sort of themes and lovely things that get carried with that. All right. Want me to do another? Yep. Right. You're up. So <laughs> um, another piece I really love is called, it's just called Falcon uh, by Hans Ernie. Um, the creation date for this is actually unknown, but we, the, the museum acquired it in 1997. So it's been in our collection for a while. Um, and it's a, it's a lithograph, another lithograph on this uh, olive green mat. And the, the background is kind of this mottled green. The whole piece is pretty, pretty dark, as Clara said, is kind of what I, I go towards. Uh, <laughs> listen, I like the ones that are really bold. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got to make an impression. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. You would never know it, but I am goth at heart. Uh, <laughs> So this, the background is this really like mottled green, like a couple a couple shades darker than the mat that it's on, and there's this black border, and then the the subject is the falcon, which is like the bird like raising its its powerful wings up to take flight, and it's like resting on this totally twisted black branch that's like in in the foreground where you can see the the falcon like resting on it but then it's also curving up and like twisting it's all scraggly in the back mm. um and the falcon is painted in in black with these like gray streaks and like other details done in gray there's also some gray streaks on um the tree and then there's just all these white lines creating this incredible feeling of movement all these streaks and like lines on the bird but both the bird and on the and on the tree on the branch and it's just it's it's very bold <laughs> and i just the feeling of movement i don't i don't know how to yeah. describe it but that's something that my dad has always talked to me about like he and i differ in what we like in terms of art as well i like the hyper realism and he likes like the more abstract like kind of landscapes mm -hmm. but something that he's really uh, given me an appreciation of is the way that artists can use um, quick strokes to create this amazing sense of movement in something that is completely stationary. Uh, so it's amazing being able to look at this piece and get this total feeling of this massive, powerful bird is about to take flight and it's just captured there beautifully. If you almost like you could hit a play button and it would it would yes. move forward, yeah, that's that's a really cool idea. Absolutely, it's one of the many beauties of art the the emotions and feelings it can create yeah. in you. This past weekend, I went to an exhibition um, in Boston at the Institute of Contemporary Art, um, and I cried. Really, oh. it was my first time crying at an exhibition. It oh. was wild. And I was like, and you know what's crazy? Okay, I'm going to get off topic. Go, go but, for it. Yeah. You know, our, our class about decolonizing the museum. Yes. This is my yes. first time going to an exhibition post 
taking that ah, class for a month. Sure. So different. Like, I just feel like I was so hyper aware of everything that was going on. Um, and, you know, that one in particular was about these um, artists who are, who are inspired by children's art because it's just, it's so raw, it's so unfiltered, and it's so, it's just so pure. Um, and it was, it was this multimedia exhibition. Um, and, no, just like the the emotions that that came up for me, and I think because of that class, and also just I think child the idea of childhood makes a lot of people emotional. But um, it was it was a really interesting experience, and for me, that was like the first time that I had like had such a such an intense reaction to to interacting with art yeah i don't think i've ever i don't think i've ever cried at a at a work of art before actually yeah i felt i've i have teared up i think mm-hmm. i've come close um but the um it's interesting when you hear sometimes hearing the story behind something i think draws out the emotion do you have a, do you have a third piece i do have a third piece okay um i'm gonna do my third piece pieces um, it's not one piece. I could not choose. Um, <laughs> but what's something that is really cool that, that Liv and I found um, a few weeks ago was all of these kind of tear outs of newspapers yes. from from Harper's Weekly newspapers from um, the 1860s through the 1880s. Um, and they cover kind of like Civil War into, you know, Reconstruction period. And... Basically, I think we have them for for the full page illustrations, but also on the back is like the funniest stuff ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, like no, but the the days that we worked, we went through those folders. We probably got I well, I mean, there was one day I did it by myself. I think I got like three folders because I spent the whole time reading the backs of these old <laughs> newspapers. Um, but I chose these because it's you know a little bit different than um, more conventional art piece. One that one that I thought was was funny was um, I forget what year it was from, but it's called oh it was from January eleventh, um, eighteen seventy nine. Um, so this one is uh, called a clean shirt. Um, so it depicts a I would assume like a, a former Confederate soldier opens a box for a clean shirt. There is a note that reads, "My dear Solid South." Take off your fraud shirt and try a clean one. Yours, St. Claus. Um, And the front of the shirt box reads, A clean shirt. It has a civilizing effect and makes one feel that, quote, all men are equal at the polls in a Republican form of government, end quote. And in the background, there lays a, a, a bloody shirt that reads, The bloody shirt is played out, end quote. Um, and it's just funny to see these kind of witty political illustrations from from you know the Reconstruction era. Um, so so this was a funny one. There's there's another one, King Andy, um, with Andrew Andrew Johnson, right? What was was, was that? Who, who that was, would be the, who was Abraham Lincoln's vice that's president? Johnson. Yeah, Andrew yes. Johnson. I get the Andrews confused. A lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, that's reasonable. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Um, but but that's but there there's so many of these these political um, cartoons kind of following the 
the the Reconstruction era, and I I'm really interested in that that period, um, and then reading the backs of the articles, um, you kind of just get a feel of what was going on at the time, like what people were talking about um, on an everyday basis. One other part that I like is on the back of one of them, there is a daily humor section. So I wanted to um, try out these Reconstruction era jokes on you guys. Okay. Um, Let's see if I can find it. Oh, here. This is for you classicists. Hey, You know, okay. I actually took Latin for five years. Oh, Fun okay. fact. All right. So, if a pig could talk in Latin, what would he say? You're gonna I'm giving you guys an Latin. opportunity to guess. I mean... Uh, I'm assuming it's a joke about pig Latin. Well, it's got to be some kind of... Oink. <laughs> <laughs> um... Why doubtless, porca verba. Oh, oh, wow. That's that's pretty bad. <laughs> um, oh, there's so many. Oh, I'm so glad you like birds. What kind do you admire most? Said a wife to her husband. Well, I think a good turkey with plenty of seasoning, about as good as any. <laughs> They're so bad. That's that's a joke. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, like I'm sorry, but I don't what, even what did conceptually they think were understand. funny? Yeah. yeah, what that's um, what that's going for. I mean, if you have to do humor for each day, daily humor, you're not all gonna be winners. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. This one, this one's quite bad. <laughs> we're dragging somebody through right now who was just doing their best. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Harper's <laughs> Weekly. <laughs> But no, yeah. this one, these ones are, they're, they're really fun. This is how to make a good jam. Okay. All right. Crowd 20 fashionably dressed ladies into one streetcar. 20. Wow. Good jam. Yeah. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. gotcha, gotcha. I didn't even get that. Really I wonder, late. I wonder how they would react to our jokes. Imagine if the, the <laughs> editors of Harper's Weekly read yeah. the blind tiger thread. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my God. That would be, I think, a mortifying experience. Yeah. In the same way that reading this jam joke, I guess it must be very embarrassing for someone's ghost right now. No, yeah. but those those newspaper illustrations are really cool and um, definitely a great resource for, you know, maybe some student writing an essay or, I don't know, wanting to know more about the time period. But, no, those were really fun to, to look through, and there are more that we haven't seen yet, so I'm excited to to look at those when we when we get to them i guess through this inventory project all right i believe you have one more i do have one more reveal Um, the secrets of the collection to us my goodness this piece is not only untitled the creation is also unknown so Hmm. the the artist is um Kate Cheney uh, Chappelle. We acquired this in 2000, and it's it's really beautiful. It's it's a, a mono print. And it's it's pretty big. It's um, 22 by 17 inches, so it's one oh, okay. yeah. a, a larger piece. Um, and uh, in like the bottom left, in this like very like neat but flowy script, it says, um, "And a desire for higher lovemaking sweeps you upward." So this piece um, 
which it's untitled, but I've been kind of referring to it as the holy longing because that's the title of the quote. Um, so this piece is much more kind of color blocky, which is more Clara style, but uh, I it's just these bright, beautiful, bold colors. And it's so yeah, so it's this large like yellow and orange rectangle and then three smaller squares underneath and yellow and orange and blue. And then it's a group of pine needles that are kind of scattered across the piece. And uh, this piece is, it's a monoprint. And so I'm honestly left to kind of assume that maybe the artist literally put pine needles down on the print. Oh, right. Uh, just the way it looks. I mean, with monoprints, it'd be pretty hard to get them as clear as they are on the piece. The, the pine needles are done in um, dark blue and white and then this like very light yellow that makes it look like it's almost glowing on the background, which is what drew me to this piece is not only are the colors like really bold, but if you can do art to make something look like it's glowing when there's no light source, that's just immediately you blow my mind. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And that's just six out of what? 8,000? 8,000 yeah, 8, plus. 8,000 yeah. plus. Wild. You know, I didn't know there was a Norman Rockwell thing. You guys find pieces that Anthony doesn't know are in there. Um, I've been working here for a few months, and I I definitely have not seen half uh, or even close to what we have. It took Clara and I about a year and a half, I think, to go through all the works on paper that that are that the museum has of uh, Berla- uh, Bernard Langley, who is a, uh, a main artist. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know how no, it took you... us. It took you a full semester, me a full semester, and then and us half a semester together. Yeah, half of last semester. So we have. Yeah, and that was just from one artist. works on paper, yeah. just from one artist. Yes, and yeah. he also did a and lot. These of were 3D. unframed too. Like yeah, mm-hmm. that, and was, that, that yeah. was a fun project. That was, yeah. And then one as one artist among, I mean. I don't even know how many. God knows how many. Hundreds. Uh, so many. I mean, with database. this inventory project, we're going in alphabetical yeah. order. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, why, you know, we have these hidden gems kind of just in the way that they're organized is that it's by, by name. So you can yeah. have, you know, Rockwell with someone named Robinson. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I, I will tell you. So we're currently, um, I'll be talking actually on, on this very podcast, we'll be talking to Hopefully, um, Grace uh, Acton, who's another one of our interns, who's working on a, a project to make the database more searchable. There are some hilarious, weird key terms that have been applied <laughs> to things in the collection. So currently, if you searched for, they might have actually fixed this, but if you search for feminine, uh, one object comes up, and it's it's a drawing. It's one of the Marston Hartley drawings, and it's just a guy. <laughs> And we we were really confused by this. We had no idea why. And so we kind of dug back through it. And it turns out that whoever put it in the initial description, um, they thought he had uh, feminine lips. And so they, they had put feminine lips in the description. And it was the only thing that came up under feminine. Um, wow. So, Interesting. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I tried to think about some of my descriptions during that project. I was like, what would I write? Yeah. And sometimes with the pieces that I loved, like... I would give them like such a crazy intense description. Yeah. And then if there was one that I didn't really like so much, it would be more like 
I don't know. I think Bill yeah. literally, when the first semester I was doing this, I think Bill literally had to come up to me and be like, you need to make your description shorter. Yeah. Like, you're putting too much <laughs> Like, it's just yes. so it could be found in the database. You yes. don't need to write, like, a visual analysis paper. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I want to thank you again for coming on and doing this as, like, the first guinea pig episode. Yeah, thank um, you for having us. No, this was so fun. Is there anything you wanted to to plug? Anything you've got going on you want people to know about? Anything like that? Um, I think first, you know, I want to got to plug the museum. Come to the museum. There's some amazing things. Um, if you're there on what are the hours, Peter? Oh yeah. yes. Uh, so we're open from ten to five, uh, Monday through Saturday, and then Mondays and Wednesdays we're actually open till seven thirty as well. Yeah, I'm also going to advertise my radio show Wednesdays, 8 to 10 p.m., um, so tomorrow, um, on WRBC 91.5. It's freshly squeezed. Should be fun. Mm. Our first show of this semester. But yeah, that's my that's my plug. You got anything, Liv? Circus Club, you don't need to have any experience. Uh, we have uh, lots of cool things, like stilts and aerial silks. Happens in the Great Cage at 4 every Sunday. Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having us.